Father, we thank you as we come to your word this morning uh, for the wisdom and life that is contained in it. Thank you that we have the words and acts of Jesus contained in this book. Please speak to us today through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when Jesus comes into someone's life, he sometimes, pardon me, does things that can turn out to be pretty unpopular uh, at some level with some people. I once uh, knew a former gang member who uh, became a preacher eventually, but he told me about time way back when he was still a, a gang leader and a street preacher came along and saved one of his members. So this guy took to him with a uh, bat with nails driven through it, put him in hospital. The problem was that saving one of his gang members made the gang weaker. He wasn't happy about that. Uh, after he became saved, he uh, actually became a preacher himself and went and preached in that guy's church. Don't you love the power of the reconciliation that's in the gospel? More than one person has become a follower of Jesus and gone home to tell an unmarried lover it's over because they have a new love. And uh, incomprehension and tears and anger often follow. Or someone from another religion becomes a Christian and finds themselves at the wrong end of ostracism and perhaps violence even as what they have done is seen as a sign of betrayal. So when Jesus comes in and cleans up a life, it can often be messy uh, and painful as he sorts out our sin. So last week we saw that uh, Jesus on the lake had just calmed the storm. He had sort of revealed himself in his power to his disciples and they were completely freaked out. When they had left Capernaum, we're not told where they were going, but as it turns out, they're going to the largely Gentile region. Uh, The Roman province was known as Decapolis, and uh, Gerasenes was near uh, the region. It was uh, near a a town uh, called something like that. Uh, As soon as Jesus lands, a man with an evil spirit comes and approaches him. Now, Another translation for that would be an unclean spirit. That's what my translation puts. Um, What we call a demon-possessed man runs up to him. This demon-possessed man is in a pathetic state. The townsfolk can't even restrain him with iron shackles. That's the extent that he has been possessed by these evil spirits. And so they have little choice but to kick him to the curb They kick him out of town and now he finds himself living among the tombs, among dead people's bones. View this from a Jewish perspective. Under the Old Testament law, anyone who even touched a dead animal carcass or a human corpse was ceremonially unclean. And this man with an unclean spirit, is living what to the Jews would be considered an unclean place. He is absolutely tormented. He's surrounded by death. He cuts himself and cries out day and night. You can almost feel the battle between life and death that's wrestling within him as 
he, I can imagine he is somehow fighting against his urge to end it all. Uh, why doesn't he? These demons are trying to destroy a life that God has created. Then Jesus arrives. The man runs up to him not to attack him, as you might expect, but he kneels before him and he declares who he is. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the most high God. I find it really fascinating that this man runs towards Jesus. I would have thought all these demons would be heading the other way because they clearly know who he is. They know what they're about to, to deal with. The demons declare who Jesus is, which if you've been tracking along with our narrative in Mark is is a uh, declaration of Jesus' identity. In the past, Jesus has silenced the demons when they do that, not ready to make himself known. But now he just seems to be starting to reveal who he is. So he doesn't silence the evil spirit in this case. The disciples have just seen him calm a storm and they're like, who is this? And he's like, guys, you're about to find out even more. Jesus is going to kick these demons out. But before the man is set free, there seems to be a little bit of bargaining going on. It's kind of a weird story, isn't it? It's not just like, get out. It's like, oh, don't torment us, Jesus. What have you got to do with us? Demons have said that before. It's a, it's a real sort of, you've got nothing to do with us. Um, it might look like there's a battle between Jesus and it's like he's really wrestling with this adversary. I don't think that's what's happening here. Because the man came and he bowed towards Jesus. He knows who Jesus is, the son of the most high God. And when Jesus commands the demons to leave, it's not like they're actually resisting. It's like they're bargaining. Okay, 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 but don't torment us. Which is really ironic given what they've just been doing to this guy. Yeah, I mean, they have no business asking Jesus not to torment them. And they don't want to be sent from the region. I don't know what that means. We can only speculate. Some people think that uh, man, Jesus was going to send them to hell and it's not time yet. There might be a sort of eschatological, which means end times element there. Others think maybe this is some kind of territorial spirit. This is where they have power. I don't know, but it clearly recognises Jesus' authority. And then Jesus asked the demon its name, and it says Legion. Now, some people have suggested that maybe Jesus is asking its name because uh, in, in that time, that's what exorcists did. If you wanted to get control over a demon, uh, or if demons were trying to get control over you, you'd find out uh, the demon's name and, and get control that way. But again, I don't think that's what happen, is happening. I think what we are seeing is a witness to Jesus' power because this isn't just one demon. This is a legion of demons that's inhabiting the man. Uh, legion, we think of Roman legions and there were a set number of soldiers in a legion and, and some people have tried to marry that up with how many demons were in the man. But the legion had also become just a loan word in Aramaic and, and Greek. So like we would use legion just to mean a lot that's what's going on here. There's a lot of demons. We're not sure of the exact number, nor do we care. But the point is that this legion 
of demons that inhabits this man recognises who Jesus is. They recognise his authority. They recognise they don't have a chance here. All they can do is try to sue for terms before they're kicked out. It's just, it's a really interesting story, isn't it? Why does Jesus bargain with these things? Well, for some reason, Jesus gives the demons permission to enter the pig herd, which is what they ask for. And then, I don't know about you, but my questions start to multiply even further. One is, did the demons drive the herd into the lake? And if so, why? Or did the pigs just go mad and run into the lake? Uh, The demons are all about destroying life. Maybe they did that on purpose. Why do these poor, innocent pigs... I mean, I know they're unclean to the Jews, but they can't help being pigs... Why do these pigs get picked on? A herd of around 2,000 pigs. What happens to the demons after the pigs drown? Where do they go then? Uh, What about the poor farmers? This must have cost them thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, It's no wonder the townspeople ask Jesus to leave. So what's going on with these pigs? Now, I'm not going to ask all these questions. They're just... The, 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 the passage doesn't give us answers to half of them. But I do think that the key to understanding this passage is remembering that Mark isn't just telling us another story about a deliverance. Remember, Mark always tells us stories with an ulterior motive. Uh, he's trying to teach us something different. And here he's not just telling a, a story about a man who's being delivered from demons. He's telling a story about a man who is being made clean. In the Old Testament, all sorts of things could make you ceremonially unclean. And if you were ceremonially unclean, you couldn't approach God. You couldn't go to temple. You couldn't do things like that. You sort of had to isolate a little bit from the community uh, so that you didn't defile someone else. So if a dead bug fell into a pot, a cooking pot, if it was a clay pot, you had to smash it. If it was a metal or wooden pot, you had to wash it. It was unclean. If you slaughtered an animal for dinner, you've now touched a carcass, you're unclean. Uh, If you have to bury a loved one, you're unclean. If a woman is having her monthly period or having a baby, she's unclean. Uh, If you have sex, you're unclean. It went on and on and on. It was literally impossible to live your life without becoming unclean, ceremonially unclean in some way in the normal course of the day. So that when people were going to temple, you can imagine what um, sort of preparation would have to go into that to make sure that you didn't defile yourself, that you separated yourself from all of that activity so that you could approach a holy God, which is exactly what those laws were designed to help people think about. Who is this God that we're approaching? What does it take to approach a holy God? The point wasn't to alienate people. It was to teach us about the holiness of God. And so as we come to this story, with that background, as we come to this story, what have we just seen? What sort of spirit does this man have? Well, evil, but an unclean spirit. Where is he living? Among tombs. 
Tombs are used for interring the dead. The tombs are unclean. How did the Jews view pigs? They were an unclean animal. So there is no part of this man's existence that is not defiled. He's mentally tormented. He's physically ostracized and living among the dead. Um, He's in this culture, really, that from a Jewish point of view is unclean. Can't approach God. And so Jesus delivers these this man from these unclean spirits that go into these unclean pigs that drown in the water. Perhaps a symbolic cleansing in water. So what's Jesus doing? He's setting the man free, but he's also making him clean. And I think there's even more going on here. There's a prophetic act that's taking place here. The gospel is coming not only to this man, but to this whole region. Um, The drowning of the pigs becomes a living parable played out before the disciples' eyes. Jesus is cleansing this region, this land, these people in preparation for the kingdom of God that will come. Soon. This is a Gentile region. Jesus has come to Israel, but clearly uh, the, the, the gospel is sort of leaking out as well. Uh, I mean, the poor pigs, but Jesus cares a, a lot more about this man and the people of that region than he does about a herd of pigs. And he cares about you and about me a lot more than those other things that we often care about as well that might stand in the way. So then we see two very different reactions to this deliverance. The people of the region are terrified, not surprisingly. They were probably freaked out by this crazy guy before, but now this powerful exorcist has come into the region and he's upsetting the economy. It's kind of, how do you argue with this? Here's this crazy man we couldn't control, calm in his right mind, rational, all our pigs are dead, this is a disaster, but... What do we do? How do you react? Please leave. They are afraid of Jesus and they ask him to leave because of the power they've just witnessed. Think of it. They ask Jesus to leave because of his power, not in spite of it, because of it. Now, the other reaction is the man who, not surprisingly, wants to go with Jesus his redeemer, his rescuer. Jesus says, no, sort of a, no, go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. Not the time for Jesus to have Gentiles in his inner circle yet. That time will come later. But this guy makes a great evangelist and he goes and he tells everyone what Jesus has done. And then Jesus gets back in the boat, crosses back over. So it seems like Jesus has come for just this guy, just this moment, and then boom. Okay, so what about you and me with this? Well, you probably see some parallels immediately. Like the man with the unclean spirit, we all need deliverance and cleansing from something. We need the power of God to set us free from the things that enslave us and make us unclean. 
And, you know, there may be things in your life that cause you to cry out like that man, that cause you to deface your soul like the man defaced his body. And Jesus can set you free. More than that, we live among people and we live in communities that need to be set free by the gospel of Jesus. People uh, live with all kinds of bondage and all kinds of defilement. And we don't like that kind of language today, really. People get very offended by that language. But when you listen carefully to what people say, people use it all the time. There are people who do things and say things and think things that are just completely unacceptable. And we call it cancel culture, but it's that ostracism. It's that don't defile me with that sort of attitude. It's exactly the same thing. And we can never know the healing and the freedom and the cleansing that is in Jesus unless we first face up to the fact that we and our world need that cleansing from him. As we approach Australia Day, um, more and more people are becoming aware and really have a sense of the uncleanness of our history, recent history, and uh, our treatment of Aboriginal people. And certainly there are things we need to do and we can do to move forward uh, in this space to bring about justice. But my question is, in the kind of world that we live in, in a, um, where guilt is brought to the surface and shown very quickly, but how do we find cleansing and forgiveness and move forward um, in these things? As churches and as a society, there are many things we can and we should do. To, to bring about healing, whether it's reconciliation, whether it's uh, helping the poor, equipping people with life skills, building communities. All of these are good and all of these are actually the fruit of the gospel. And no one complains about these sorts of initiatives. But here's the thing. Only the gospel ministered in the power and authority of Jesus can bring deliverance and cleansing for our souls. Only the gospel can reconcile people to God, which is ultimately what we need. It was great hearing Jasmine talk about that unity in Christ that those young people expressed. That is bang on. Not that we can't reach across the aisle, so to speak, to people outside the the kingdom, but it's in Jesus that we find ultimate reconciliation. For that to happen, it takes people willing to share the gospel. People like the man, like the man who was delivered. People who are willing to talk about what Jesus has done for them. People who are willing to find, we talk about people of peace, people who are open uh, and enter into the messiness of life with them and like the man who was delivered, share what Jesus has done. And that is going to get messy. That's going to get a reaction because... It means sharing a message of repentance and sin. It means facing up to things. It means the destruction of things that make us unclean. And that can be unpopular, but it's also powerful. And it might just save a life and it might just change communities. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel that is so transformative. And Father, as we consider our own uncleanness as individuals, and Father, we all just carry these things that we pick up during the week, during life. We, just, we can't avoid them. And so, Father, on that front, we just thank you for your grace to us that Jesus makes us clean. And as we walk with him, despite these other things that we do or that happen to us, Father, that we are constantly made clean by the blood of Jesus. Thank you so much for that, that we can have ongoing, constant fellowship with you. And may we walk in that knowledge. And Father, for our communities that often have this awareness of uncleanness and defilement and don't know what to do with us with it, help us to point people to the source of forgiveness and healing and life and reconciliation. Father, as we do the practical things and as we share the gospel, we pray for your power to be at work in us and through us. And if people react to your power, so be it. But Father, we know there are so many people who are going to respond and be set free and help us to find those people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.